And we're back. Welcome to another episode of Northern Lights. Tanner here along with Marcus. Super excited to be joined in the studio today by Stephen Brown. Welcome. Hey, guys. So you're someone that I'm sure many people here in the cannabis industry, people who are cannabis consumers, either know by your name or know by your brand, nothing but hemp. But just give people a little bit of background on what brings you to cannabis and, and what sort of your introduction like. I know you were in the Marines, but tell us a little bit about that transition over to cannabis. Yeah. So I've always loved cannabis. So when I was in high school, I got introduced to cannabis mm-hmm. uh, when I was 13 years old. Um, I ended up having a really tough family life as a, as a, as a kid. I ended up running away from home uh, my freshman year of high school. And literally weed is what allowed me to put food on the table when I was away from my house. Um, eventually I ended up moving back with my parents cause you know, I was 13 years old. Um, but I stayed in the legacy market all the way up until I was 18 years old. I knew the minute I was 18 in Massachusetts, that if you get caught with even a seed, you go to a jail, jail for a year. And I didn't want that. So I ended up joining the Marine Corps. Um, the day I got out of the Marine Corps, I started smoking again. <laughs> <laughs> I missed it so much. Um, I'm, um, little ADD and dyslexic. And one of the best things for me is actually to microdose. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize that as a young kid, when I was at school, the reason why I was always high, but when I would microdose before school, I could actually pay attention to the teacher. I wasn't on any meds as a kid, but that was at, like my own medication, but never realized till I became an adult that like, this was the medication I needed to actually function in a school setting where it was really difficult for me to actually like pay attention to the teachers. It was really, really tough for me to do that. Yeah. That, well, and it's actually really interesting that you say that because you can sort of see that in that early product line of nothing but hemp, like going back to July 1st, when we have lines going out the door, stop by your white bear Lake shop. And one of the products that I got was those mints that are, I think like 2.5 milligrams or one milligram each. And you know, I had heard of cannabis microdosing, but never really found a role for it in my own personal life and really found, hey, a low amount of cannabis, not like the 20, 30 milligrams that I was sort of used to, like my my recreational adult use dose. But this is something that's really like a, I can take this and still function throughout my day and just like use it to help enhance my life. Yeah. Really, really cool stuff. Hmm. So tell us about nothing but him. What motivated you to start this company? And what were the first months like? Yeah. So I started this company in a very odd way. Like I, I was out in California. I owned a small marketing company, um, this large, uh, medical company that was converting from med to recreational needed a logo. And so I made them a logo in 48 hours and they were really impressed. And they're like, Oh my gosh, can you come over here and move here? And I was like, I can't, I have a kid 50% 50% of the time. And so I can't live in California all the time, but I can go there every other week. And they said, sure, let's do that. So I helped them with, uh, you know, branding, uh, development of their retail stores and kind of the look and feel of it. And when I was out in California, I saw CBD. My wife at the time, she was my girlfriend was totally against cannabis. She was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm dating a pothead. Like I'm totally against cannabis. She was suffering from migraines. And so I brought her home some CBD. She tried it, got rid of her migraines and then she became a believer. And so I was like, Oh my gosh, why don't I open up a store? So I called a couple of attorneys and each attorney said, no, you can't open up. This is before the 2018 farm bill. You can't open up a shop. And I'm calling this one guy from this veteran group I was part of who was an attorney says, yeah, I know a way that you can actually open up a shop. So we opened up before the 2018 farm bill passed. It was during that 2014 pilot program. 
And um, the rest is kind of history. You know, we opened up a little kiosk. I called the news stations. I said I had stuff that looked like weed because we did have some hemp flowers, some really <laughs> shitty, shitty hemp flowers, like the worst stuff. <laughs> and they came by and they saw these joints. And next thing you know, like uh, NPR called me up and then, you know, Fox News came and that's how we built our brand was based on PR. So, yeah, you've done a really good job with that. I've seen you over the last several years, you know, earning a lot of media. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Um, we first started off as a brand that just kind of created, uh, didn't create our own products. We pretty much bought product from out of state or in state. So we worked a lot with mini grown at the time we worked with, uh, Siskiyou sun grown and uh, several other brands, uh, Charlotte web, everybody knows select, uh, a lot of these Oregon brands, I really trusted those brands because I actually understood cannabis. And there wasn't at the time a lot of companies in Minnesota that were even existed at the time to to, to put on their shelves. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people didn't understand cannabis at all in this marketplace. And so I kind of stuck to my roots of like California, Oregon, bringing those products in. Um, eventually, uh, over time, we ended up changing it. So we started, uh, you know, private labeling our own brand. Um, and that was before that, the, the first July 1st bill that, that passed. Very cool. So very, very cool. Yeah. yeah. I remember going to like a health and wellness expo, the volunteer for grounded gardens back in yes. man, 2020, maybe at the state fair and there being two cannabis brands, it's us and nothing but hemp and really going out and talking to people about like, no, I, I know that you think you're going to take this home and it will get you stoned, but really this is going to provide you so much more to your life beyond that. And, um, that conversation was pretty I think new at the time, at least here in Minnesota, whereas like now today, if you ask someone, have you heard of CBD? Like I, I think 98% would probably say, yeah, I've at least heard of it. Yep. Mm. Agreed. Very, very cool. So tell us a little bit about what it's been like to be in Minnesota's industry. Obviously we have a lot of changes coming up in the next couple of months, years, but there's been a lot of changes since you've been in the industry. You've written the whole Delta eight wave, the whole THCA way. I mean, there's been so much to sort of our industry that make it look the way it is today. Just what has that been like as a business owner? Yeah, it's been interesting. You know, I never thought going into this business, I'd be at the Capitol. That mm-hmm. was never, ever, <laughs> ever my thought, you know, that first edible bill, uh, I was really involved in and that was a pleasure being part of it. There was still a lot of holes and issues within that first bill um, it was stressful that year of the first edible bill. I literally didn't work on my business. All I did was I was at the Capitol at the time and I was learning my ropes and kind of how I can, uh, you know, influence policy. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it was a, a huge learning experience. And then the year after was a mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this last past year was just horrible. Um, <laughs> it's probably one of the worst years in my life in business in regards of, it was great on, in regards of growing, but, mm-hmm. uh, in regards of just being stressed, it was probably one of the worst years of my life. I'd have to say. So gotcha. yeah, I was making, and I'm not laughing that. at yeah. that part. No, I'm <laughs> just laughing at how intense it was and how intense you were through this <laughs> legislative cycle. Yeah. You know, you're, you're a beast. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we saw a lot of people that were either doing just the activism side or just the business side. And I think you were throughout the entire session, both this last one and the one before doing both just like all the time I'm, I'm running my business, but also I need you guys to know like this bill is going to impact my business and all of you in this way. And like, yep. I, I remember getting an email from you when 
I was living in White Bear Lake at the time and their city council was looking at like acting in moratoriums and getting emails saying like, hey, you should reach out to your city officials because if you like coming to the store, like that'll be impacted by something that some wackos are doing at city hall. And like, Mm -hmm. you should know about that. And I I just really applaud you for doing not just one, not just the other, but, but both. And yeah. Yeah. You must've been one of the three most active in terms of like the lobbying three most active entrepreneurs in this whole state. So yeah. Shout out to you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. It was, it was a lot this year. We're, it's a different approach. Mm -hmm. Um, we're, still going to be vocal, but we're doing a lot of things in the background. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a better way that I've learned through these stripes of being at the Capitol is do a lot of things in the background so you can actually make change. Otherwise you can get railroaded. Really. That makes sense. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you before we sort of dig into some of the changes here in Minnesota, cause I do want to ask you about those, but you, along with the, the both and mentality, you have the both end mentality of Minnesota but also having your toes in Florida and being involved in business there, having, I mean, selling products throughout the state of Florida. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's been like watching not only Minnesota evolve and work forward and having your pulse on that, but also saying, now I have to see what they're doing down in Florida as well. I was so surprised in Florida. I never expected. I thought Florida was a very safe state. Mm-hmm. That's why I ended up moving my business down there is actually have my you know limited liability company out of Florida mm-hmm. because I felt as though that the state as a whole, it's full of libertarians, right? They mm-hmm. want freedom. And so I was thinking that that would mean cannabis and the hemp program was so robust. I mean, they had in, enforcement people at our retail establishments every quarter to make mm-hmm. sure that we have you know, batch information, we're doing full panel tests, we're, we're not, you know, selling to kids, all of those things. So I really was like, wow, they have their act together. This can be a safe place to establish my brand in Florida um, so it can support my company in, in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I really just thought it would be, you know, if anything ever happens in Minnesota, I have Florida to fall back on. Mm-hmm. I ended up going down to Florida because... Um, my old boss, when I got out of the Marine Corps, this guy was a Marine and I was working in the cell phone industry and he called me up and goes, I want to be in the hemp industry too. So he ended up opening up a kiosk. So he was our first affiliate that we had. Down Very there. cool. Okay. So that's why I ended up in Florida in the first place in the back in the CBD days. So it was never something that was like originally planned. It just mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. So cool. It's just one of those sort of pivots that have come up in the industry mm-hmm. of like, we're here, we've got the customer base. Let's give them what they want. Yeah. Mm, very, very cool. So it's fair to say that you were one of the most vocal critics of certain aspects of House File 100 throughout the legislative process. Yes. <laughs> you say with love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest, like we, at least I'll speak for myself, always had the idea of like killing the bill as an option if, you know, it wasn't an acceptable form in the end. And I think you were. You were more, I wouldn't say explicit, but your 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 implicit like cause warnings about the bill was like it was kind of epic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, there were sort of the two approaches of we have this deadline of it needs to pass by the state to go into effect by this session. So that's the deadline of when it passes, versus the approach of don't you guys care about what we're passing though? And yeah. I think you fell more in that, hey guys, look at the actual language of what passing. Yeah. 
Could you tell us about the process of of that bill getting drafted from your perspective, and you know what things from the final version do you think Minnesota got wrong? Well, the, the the first bill I was really involved in. The second one I got pretty much pushed to the side, and you know I had two different lobbyists, and they got pushed to the side. And these are pretty good sized firms, so we were just pushed. It was really Emin is ready. Um, that was kind of pushing forward the bill, and mm-hmm. I think the the goal of the bill was for legalization to happen, which I agree. I think legalization should happen. I think cannabis should be legal in all forms. I should, I think it should be federally legal. I think there should be repositions for, you know, anybody, you know, who have been arrested for cannabis, all of those things I agree with, but the language was just so far off. And I just knew that we wouldn't be able to to sell tinctures anymore, capsules, things that don't get people high. It just didn't make sense. And so I just think that, any bill that passes has to make sense for consumers and also has to make sense for the businesses. And that's what was missing in this, in this bill. Um, you know, the, the fact that the marijuana guys have the ability to sell flour, but the hemp guys can't, you know, uh, as an example, by 2025, uh, that the marijuana guys can sell vapes, but the hemp guys can't, there's no real reason behind it at all. Like it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Like they can't say it's unsafe over here, but it's safe over here. Mm-hmm. We all know vapes aren't safe period. Mm-hmm. So it should be illegal for both sides. Yeah. So I just think even up the playing field for both sides, I think makes a lot of sense. I understand there's more cost in a marijuana business of having like a 280E where they can't write off all their expenses. That's the only reason why I don't want a license is for the fact that I don't want to not be able to write off my ordinary business expenses, but I would get a license just so I can sell all the other products I used to be able to sell. So I think there's going to be a lot of hemp uh, companies that want a marijuana license just so they can sell all the old hemp stuff. Cause they can still, they don't have to deal with the 280 E issue. Yeah. We were having a conversation with Jeff Brinkman of superior cannabis very recently. who was talking about a similar thing of like, we found all of this spectrum of cannabinoids that people have found a use for in their life that now suddenly people just won't be able to get in certain forms anymore because I don't know, because we're worried about people having too much CBG or like other non-psychoactive cannabinoids really things that we know don't have a significant amount of harm to them. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think in this last bill, the one influence that we had is Basically, all of the products had to be behind the shelf. We said, well, why can't they be in a case, a locked case? So that was the one thing that we went on, you know, okay. that we there put we go. in the bill. But so that was pretty cool. But besides that, I still think there's a lot of work. I think the equity language is off too. I'm black and Hispanic. And um, I just don't think that the way that it's written, that it's going to help our community. I just don't. I think it's, I think it was a good try but we have to do a lot more and we have to be really specific on what kind of grants we have to be specific on what does that mean on a licensing basis? So they can open up a shop, but how are they going to, are they going to, are we going to be able to get proper training if we've never been a business owner before in this marketplace? Like mm-hmm. all of those things, those are all big questions that we have to really look at. Um, and, and personally for me, I believe that there shouldn't be a limit of licenses. I think there should be an ability to open up, like a retail establishment or a manufacturing uh, establishment um, provided uh, 
you can open up one. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I just don't think we should limit the amount of access. And I, that's what I love about the hemp space is that there's only four, you know, 4,000 stores that are selling hemp products. I think that's amazing. And it's oh, yeah. great for the consumer. It drives down cost for the consumer as well, because one of the biggest issues that customers have been saying is that in this marketplace, it's been twenty four ninety nine on a 50 milligram package. It's insane. It really is. So, you know, in Oregon, they had unlimited licenses and a lot of people out there will say that was a disaster for the industry because it just led to saturation and like a race to the bottom in terms of pricing. I mean, how would you react to that? Yeah, I can understand that as the business owners, but I think as long as you can build a successful brand, there's still successful brands that are doing, that are thriving in that, in that marketplace. I think the America was built on the ability to compete. Look at all these wine glasses that are out here at Dabbler Depot, right? There are thousands and thousands of different wine bottles out there and, you know, beer and so on and so forth it's a saturated market, but the brands that actually spend time understand their customers and don't just throw something out in the marketplace. Those are the ones that survive. And that's what business is about. It's about building brands. And I think the BIPOC community is so creative and they have the ability to build something that's pretty incredible. And I don't think we should discount that. So it's African-American history month in February and We wanted to have you on in part to discuss what you think needs to be done to support black entrepreneurs in our upcoming cannabis industry. Can you describe some of the hurdles black business owners may face or what the state or community can do to help support these entrepreneurs? Yeah, 100%. I think the number one is for us as in the black community, we need to just put together some type of training so that when these entrepreneurs come on, they're going to have an idea of kind of where to navigate, you know, where you find your legal um, what it looks like running, you know, uh, an operation, not giving proprietary information on your brand, but like just, just standard SOPs of what you mm-hmm. do in your daily operations, how you have to look at building out a product. Um, I think your cannabis college, what you guys are doing, I think that ties right into a way to help that community because mm-hmm. you guys can become that training arm for the black community and for the Hispanic community and for other small business owners who want to enter in this space, you guys have that platform and the ability to train people on what to do and what not to do. And I think it all comes down to interviewing people like me and anybody else in this industry. You're, you get all these little golden nuggets and you can put that together and put it into training. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we really appreciate that. I mean, I think one of the reasons that we exist as an organization is because we looked at our estate and said, Hey, we've got so many people that should be part of this industry. Like so many awesome entrepreneurs that have been operating on the legacy or hemp side for a while. How do we make sure that we can create that that pathway to really allow them to be those business owners of our future adult use industry as well? Yeah. Mm. Yep. So I wanted to ask you a little bit, we, we talked a little bit about the Florida bill a couple minutes ago, but we don't often get a chance to talk about like, news and legislative updates in other states. The specific bill, because we didn't talk about like what the changes was, it would totally ban Delta 8 and Delta 10, and it would cap Delta 9 THC to 2 milligrams per serving and no more than 10 milligrams of THC per package. I mean, just as someone who's operating in Florida, can you tell us a little bit about what that would do to you as a business owner, but also to some of your consumers? We have a plan when the law goes through. I think we're able to pivot and we already know how to pivot. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the businesses in Florida are so stuck in the high milligrams 
they're going to have a very difficult time on pivoting. I disagree with the law. I think the law is stupid. I think capping it at two milligrams is ridiculous and 10 milligrams per bag. Mm -hmm. I, I think what Minnesota did at the five milligram um, per 50 milligram per cap is okay. It's not perfect. I would love to see a world where we're 10 milligrams, a hundred milligrams you know, sure. per, yeah. per bag. Um, that's what I would love to see in Florida. That's what we're fighting for. I don't think it's going to happen. I think we're going to lose this session hundred percent. I don't think we're going to lose litigation. I do think we're going to lose this session for sure. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we're there. The players down there, like, you know, in Minnesota, we're one of the largest hemp companies down there. I'm like a pib squeak, you know, like the, 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 some of the businesses down there have 500 to a thousand employees. You know, I have 65 in the nothing but hemp side of my business. And then I have other businesses, but just call it a hundred altogether. So we're very, very small compared to some of these other businesses. They have the capital. They are going to litigate. I think there's a constitutional argument. I think there is a a process argument. Um, And if you follow the paper trail, you can actually see the true leave um, uh, lobbyists are the ones who put together this bill in the first place. I mean, it, it all, you know, the paper trails there. And you so, said the true leave. Yeah. Is that like one of the medical companies? It is. Yeah. It's like the large, like they have such a hold on the market there in Florida. And I, I mean, I think it doesn't take a, 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 you know, a detective to be able to say, Hey, who's really going to benefit when people can no longer buy these products from, you know, the places they've been buying them for years well, it's going to be the people that have that stranglehold in the market, those medical producers. Yeah. And they're getting their butt kicked in Florida. That, I mean, that's the other reason too, is that people are buying hemp. I do think the hemp market down there, they are making a lot of mistakes. And the number one mistake is, you know, they're selling the death by gummy bears everywhere or something similar to it. Not the exact brand, but you know, a 600 milligram per oh, yeah. piece, massive gummy. That's crazy. The average consumer is going to have a hard time. And for me, I remember when I went to Colorado, I was working for Quest Communications for a very small period of my life. And all the training was done out in Colorado. And my buddy had a medical card. I was in the Marine Corps with him. And he bought me popcorn. And the popcorn said 200 milligrams. I didn't know what that meant. Oh, God. I ate the whole bag. And I felt like <laughs> shit for hours. And so that's the thing is that the, the average consumer doesn't understand that. And they had one of the senators who stood up and said, I went to a smoke shop. I bought gummies. They were 100 milligrams a piece and he ate it and got sick. That's a real story. Mm-hmm. And the hemp industry didn't even recognize that story and say, we met, we made a mistake and we should do better at, you know, governing ourselves and get down to the right amount of milligrams you know, 10 milligrams per serving. I think there is a, an avenue for higher milligram products, but it should be for medical only as much as I'm not a fan of the med guys because of what they do to the hemp industry. But those are the ones who should be administrating higher milligrams for people who have PTSD or some other medical issues that really need to take it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, no, I I think that's a spot on where like we've met people before that are like, no, that 50 milligram cap, like that's really what we should be holding to. And it's, it's hard knowing people that, that medicinally use this and say like, well, their standard dose they look for is like 200 milligrams. So just like price wise, that's not something that really is going to be regularly a, an affordable dose. And yeah. um, I'm excited to see what adult use brings about and hopefully providing more access for medical patients is something that is mm-hmm. an effective of the bill. But I guess we'll see. Yeah. 
So sort of looking forward to the rest of the year, it, it's now, I mean, it's crazy to think we're coming to the end part of February. What do you have coming up to the rest of the year? You mentioned that you're taking some pivots, making this year better than 2023. What are some of the, the positive changes you're looking for in 2024? So we want to see CBN and CBC and THCV part of the standard list of cannabinoids allowed. That's our number one. So full spectrum. True full spectrum, not THCP, THCX, all that other crap. Mm-hmm. I want to see the real cannabinoids being able to be sold just like before. Uh, tinctures implemented. And then, you know, like what happened to to one particular guy, he had a scooper inside one of his products. And they said the scooper's oh, yeah. on a way of measurement. To me, that's <laughs> ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like a tincture should be a, a point of measurement. And same thing with a scooper because we've been doing it for years with baking. So I want I mean, to see how that. the coffee bags. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, absolutely. It's the mm-hmm. same thing. Where it's crazy that you like you can sell protein powder and have a scoop in there, but if you put THC in the protein powder, then suddenly that scoop is no longer like effective at measuring a <laughs> dose. Suddenly, like it just it breaks. Or I don't. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. So I think that's what we want to see. Um, I don't think this year we're not even going to try to pass you know the smokable or vapes or mm-hmm. anything like that. Um, I would love to see that legal legalize on the hemp derived side, but I just don't think we have a chance of doing it. So it's not worth the effort. I think it's better to work with these lawmakers and say, let's just make these sensible changes first and next year, bring up that issue. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, talking a little bit about your experiences, talking about what it's been like to be here in Minnesota, to, to see some changes in Florida and just to really, really talk about what it's like being a business owner in some of the the waves of legalization and yeah. all the changes for the people who want to follow along a little bit more with you or your brand, where would you recommend to, to send them? Yeah, they could just go to nothingbuthemp.net and they could find us on, on online. We do same day delivery. Uh, we also have several retail stores uh, throughout the twin cities. Uh, we're also in our, a lot of our products are in Dabbler Depot, uh, top 10 liquor stores and uh, several liquor stores throughout the Metro. Awesome. Perfect. Well, awesome. Thank, thank you so you. much. Again, Steven. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Northern Lights is a Minnesota Cannabis College production. This episode was produced by me, Tanner Barris, and by my co-hosts, John Barty and Marcus Harkis. Production assistance from Shana Payton and Steve Eigen. Today's episode is presented by North Star Law Group, your trusted partner in Minnesota's burgeoning legal cannabis industry. The information provided in this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice, but is instead for general information purposes only. Information shared may not constitute the most up-to-date or legal information, no listener should act solely on the base of information provided without first seeking their own legal counsel. The opinions and views expressed on this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the Minnesota Campus College. Please listen responsibly.